But I want to start out before I get into um, all the amazing things that God's done for me, telling you about my week. Uh, Brady asked me to share my testimony a few weeks ago, and I was kind of nervous about it, and, and I prayed a lot, and I thought, Lord, I just really want to say the right words. I really want to do justice to how you turn the messes in my life into a message that glorifies you. So I worried about it all week and fretted about it and prayed about it, which doesn't really make sense, but that's what I do. And this week has been a challenge. Um, Ryan got sick, and then I got sick. And then Tony, who never gets sick, got sick. And Ryan broke his finger. And two days ago, I was still praying, Lord, give me, give me what you want me to say. So I started really um, reading the word and looking into it over the past couple days. And this morning, I wake up and I go to print out my notes and the printer wouldn't work. And um, then I ran out of paper and I'm, Tony's laughing at me and I'm thinking, this is not funny. I am going to get up there and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. And I go in thinking a cup of coffee would help because a cup of coffee helps everything. And I open the door to the cabinet and the coffee cups on the top shelf fell out and hit me in the head. And I'm like, really? Okay. So obviously I am supposed to speak today and I feel like I'm supposed to say what God has given me. So just a little background. Um, a lot of you know me. I see a lot of familiar faces. So I'm actually not as nervous as I thought I would be because it's like I'm talking to my family. But Platte City has been my home for 47 years. I grew up on an old farm east on 92 at the corner of 92 and Winnin. And my family and I attended Hoover Christian Church. And I can remember going to Sunday school every Sunday and vacation Bible school. And I also remember that every Sunday, my dad would fall asleep in church. And mom would get so upset. She would get really mad at him. And I always thought it was kind of funny. And I could see him start to, to fade and to go. And I'd give him a little nudge. And he'd look over at me and smile. And he'd say, Barb, I don't know why you're getting so mad at me because I'm just resting my eyes. So I had, I had a wonderful childhood. I had amazing parents and a loving and supporting brother. But I grew up like a lot of us do so often and made choices that were not really ones that would make my parents proud. But somehow, they were always proud. And I grew up thinking that I was special. I thought I was pretty special. And I think that stemmed from the fact that I was a huge daddy's girl. And my father um, was a very strong figure in my life. Um, and he raised me to be stubborn and strong-willed, tough, and very self-confident. Uh, he always told me, there's nothing that you can't do. And I believed him. But dad was a worrier, and he did it out of love and tragic circumstances that had happened in his life before. 
but it was a behavior that I learned very well. Well, if you're a worrier, like we were, you live in fear, and you live in the, the thought that you can control things. Because when you live in fear, that's what you try to do. You try to control each situation so you get the outcome that you want. So I strolled through my life, high school, graduate of Platte County R3, um, failed marriages, still living in fear, worrying, and trying to be the one that controlled my life. And obviously it just was not working. And even though on the outside I was tough, um, I was in control. I heavily relied on my parents and my earthly father. If, he needed, if I needed something, he was the one that I went to. He was the person that was always there to pick me up, dust me off, build me up, and push me forward. Throughout my life, I had attended the First Baptist Church here in Platte City, but not regularly. And I prayed, but usually when something was wrong. I knew Jesus, and I did believe that he had died for my sins, but I did not have an intimate relationship with him. I often compare the first 40 years of my life to Moses' journey to the promised land. I wandered around in the wilderness, spending 40 years on what was an 11-day trip. But I felt successful. I had the career of my dreams. I was a detective and the assistant chief of police for Platte City. I had three beautiful, healthy children, and I felt important. From the time that I was 10 years old, I knew that I wanted to be a police officer. My brother was a police officer, and I admired him and the uniform and what it stood for and the thought that I would be taking care of the citizens in the city that I grew up in. And that was my identity, was being a police officer. I felt like in spite of all the ups and downs and detours in my road, that things were going along pretty well. I had met my husband, Tony, and we were married in April of 2007. And our dear Pastor Brady and Trish married us in our home. We had attended Sheffield Family Life off and on in the First Baptist Church. Um, Sheffield was Tony's home church. And talk about a difference. It was a shock for a Baptist girl to go to Sheffield Family Life. Then in March of 2008, the foundation of everything that I knew was pulled out from under me. My dad had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's a couple years before. And on March 14th of 2008, the Lord took him home. My world was turned upside down. My rock, my greatest supporter, the one person that always was there and loved me no matter what, when I made all those bad decisions, when I took all those wrong turns, he was gone. I could feel that a huge part of me died as well. I ended up taking a leave of absence from the police department, and I spent weeks lying on the couch, feeling completely lost and alone, and I was mad. And I asked God, why would you do this to me? Why did you take my father when I still need him? And I walked through the next several years just walking through, 
back in and out of the wilderness, still attending church. Um, I'd known Brady and Trish for years, um, but I always felt displaced in the church that I was in. Now, Brady and Trish were very important people in my life. they were, Brady was really um, important in the lives of my children. He was supportive to them, prayed for them, loved on them. Um, and I was blessed to have him by our side in the room when my father passed. Trish had become a dear friend. She was my accountability partner and a woman that made me want to be a better person. Somewhere in there, Brady had left the uh, First Baptist Church and went to the vineyard. And we thought, well, we'll, we'll go there. We'll, we'll follow. And we did, off and on. But we just never felt connected. We still felt displaced. And I felt in my heart that God had such a bigger plan for Brady. And I felt that I was supposed to be a part of it. So somebody like me, when you have those feelings, you think, well, why in the world would I be a part of this? I'm messed up. I've been messed up my whole life. But that's who God uses. He uses us messed up people. So I shared that feeling with Tony, and of course, unbeknownst to me, Tony felt the same thing. And that's God right there. So we approached Brady and Trish, and we told them, we're in, we're ready. We felt called to do this, and we began, as some of you know, meeting in houses, Um, and at first it was just a small group, Um, but it was neat. It was like a family. And then one particular Sunday, Tony and I decided, "We'll, we'll host church, and I can't remember. I mean, we had... I don't know, 15, 16 people, you know, on a a Sunday. Well, the Sunday that we have church at our house, we have a lot of people show up. And I knew when the people were walking in the door, I mean, we were having to move my dining room table out of the way. I thought, okay, I'm in the right place. I'm in the right place. It's the right time, and these are the right people. And that Sunday enough money was given that enabled us to start meeting at the YMCA and form the Culling Community Church. The joy I felt on that day does not compare to any other joy that I felt in my life other than the birth of my children and my grandchildren. From that day forward, God has revealed so many things to me. He has shown me that all the things that I leaned on my earthly father for God was just waiting for me to lean on him, that he is always there. He never leaves. He has revealed to me that the more I try to control my life, the more struggles I have. He has challenged me to let go, to believe, to have faith, and to lean on the church and his love, as well as the support of my family. I had always felt that the greatness that I accomplished in my life was because of the positive words that my earthly father spoke over me. But I have come to realize it was because God's plan for me, because it was God's plan for me in that season. I do not know what's next for me. Two weeks ago, I was called into my boss's office at work and was told I was no longer needed. 
and they decided to let me go. I was devastated, I was scared, I was mad, and again left asking the Lord, why? Why would you give me this job only to take it away 17 days later? A job that clearly dressed itself up as a blessing when they offered it to me on the spot three weeks before. My first response was to panic. I had no income, had no health insurance for me or my kids. But immediately, my church family reached out and shared revelation and comfort. And I began really seeking God's plan for me. I've been really digging into the word and praying and asking God, what is my next step? You have the control. I don't have the control. I don't know what the next step is. I don't even know how next week's bills are going to be met. But I have been in constant prayer about returning to my career in law enforcement, which would definitely be a challenge at my age. But I am resting in the arms of Jesus, knowing that I have the unconditional love and support of this church, my church. And that I am a daughter of the one that created the heavens and the earth. So placing me in a job is nothing. Don't worry, or don't get me wrong, I still get impatient and I worry that learned behavior from my wonderful, loving, earthly father. But during those times, I pray and I get on YouTube and I play this message that we are going to play for you now just to remind myself who my daddy is and who I belong to. So that's who I am. That is who my daddy is. And while I had an amazing earthly father, I look back now and I see that in itself was God. God gave me to him. And he's known exactly what I'm doing and where I'm at every step of the way, even when I don't. So I just encourage you that if, I mean, we all are going through things, but just know that he is there for you. He is in this room. He is in the chair next to you, and he loves you. He loves you like you love your kids and more, which is completely unfathomable to me, but that's it. So I'll move forward, and I'm still seeking and listening and wanting to hear his direction for my life. Thank you. I'm going to pray for Beth. And so, Father, we praise you for her story. We praise you that you have been at the center of it since the time she was conceived in her mother's womb. You knit her together there, and then you placed her into this world to, uh, to learn about you, to learn from you, to teach other people about you. God, I pray that you would continue to work in the midst of her story, do incredible things, that you get the glory for what you're going to do next. God, we do ask as a church that you would provide the perfect job for her, a job that she loves, a job that pays the bills, a job that will make a difference in the community that we live in, in the surrounding community. 
Lord, we thank you. We know that we have not because we ask not. We're asking right now for you to move in that way. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Beth. That was great. It's a great uh, testimony. And a reason why I wanted Beth to share is because this idea that powerful things come from stories. And stories are powerful because they're real. They, they are personal and they have a... Uh, we can, we can resonate with them when we hear them. We're like, yes, yeah, I get that. I, I see that. That's happened to me. Or, or, or the powerful phrase that we've mentioned before, not kind of throughout our history, is when we hear these stories, we say, yeah, me too. Me too. And every single one of you have a story. Right where you're sitting, your story matters, and it's powerful, and it's personal. And we want to continue to encourage you to uh, allow God to work in the midst of your story, because he's not done. <laughs> he's not done. If he started something in you, he's faithful to complete it, just like he's going to complete it in Beth's life. So the last four weeks, last four weeks, we've had the opportunity to look at the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So we looked at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in order to kind of just wrap that, that up, we wanted to just take a glimpse into the first scene of the story of the church and the birth of of the church, and that comes from the book of Acts. And so turn with me to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, the story of the Apostles, the story of the birth of the church. It was being, it was conceived, it was starting to grow uh, when Jesus was walking on the earth. And then it, it's birth right here in the book of Acts. And so we'll look at, let's just turn to the very first chapter of Acts. And Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. If you're here when Roy spoke about the book of Luke, he spoke about that. And so Acts chapter 1, in my former book, Theophilus, which is the book of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave, this, he gave them this command. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And so at that particular point, Jesus was no longer there. He was gone. He has ascended into heaven. And there is a story yet to be told. It's going to be told someday. And that's going to be a great 
and glorious day. Because I love where it says Jesus will come back in the same way. He went up, he's going to come back down. Because what goes up must come back down. And he's coming again someday. All right? So when, until that day happens, what's next? What now? What do we do? Well, part of what we do is what we're doing right now. We gather and we worship. We gather and we listen to the teaching. We gather to be inspired, to be encouraged, to continue to live out the story that was given to those guys that day. So the book of Acts, we won't, we won't obviously look too much into it because of the time, but here's kind of how the story goes leading up to the birth of the church. It says that later on, they chose someone to replace Judas who had betrayed Jesus. They chose someone else. But it had to be someone else who had witnessed the resurrection. Okay, it's so important that you understand that the church was born through the eyewitness of people who saw the resurrection happen, were there to see Jesus, to hear him talk after they had thought he was dead. And from that story, the gospel spread. Okay, the gospel has spread all the way to Platte County, Missouri. And we sit here because of that today. I don't know if that, that moves you at all, but it has an effect on me. It, it changes me to realize that God had a purpose and a plan that day for, that, for the word to get out. There was no social media. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. It spread from person to person to person, and it ended up to you somehow some way, which is one of the reasons why Trish and I are continuing to meet with people on Wednesday nights to get with you, to, to hear your story. I always love to ask, how did you come to know Jesus? What's your personal story of the gospel? And if you have not, if you don't have a personal story yet, we want to help you have one. We want to help you discover who Jesus is because that story matters. Best story, powerful, it's encouraging what God is doing, but what God is going to do in her eternity is going to be even better than what she's experienced here on earth. Can I get an amen for that? Because it's going to be, it's going to be good. I need someone else other than just Brady Rogers to give me an amen, all right? I love it when, I know when Brady's here, because it's like, it's like, oh, I hear him. He's back there. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so here's the story. So the disciples, Jesus is gone. You know, their rock their encouragement, their source of inspiration is now gone. And it says they were all gathered in one place and they were praying. Around 120 people gathered. They were in prayer. Maybe in prayer because of fear. What's going to happen next? This is 50 days later after the resurrection. And, and, and Jesus, remember Jesus told us not to go anywhere. Stay in the city because he's going to clothe us with power. He's going to give us power to be able to live this thing out. And so all, they were all together. This is in Acts 2. They were together. They were in prayer. And suddenly, it says, like a, uh, like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And like tongues of fire came down to rest on each of them. I was uh, sitting out last night on my deck and I had a fire going. And I was watching the flames. And every once in a while, like a, pe like a part of the flame would branch off all by itself. But then it would die off quickly, obviously, because it wasn't connected to the, to the fire source. But I thought about the tongues of fire, like coming out and resting on each individual person and enabling them to speak in languages they've never spoke before for the benefit of those around them. People that were gathered in Jerusalem that day heard these people speaking in tongues and praying in their language, and they're like, what? is going on. And it says that the people were proclaiming the wonderful works of God. 
right? In their story, they were proclaiming what God had done up to that point, and the people were hearing that. And then it says Peter, Peter the one who had no courage, who was a coward, who, who, who denied even knowing who Jesus was for, for fear of being persecuted or, cru- or crucified himself, it says Peter stood up. He stood up and he proclaimed boldly this gospel, this good news of Jesus. So you have the Pentecost prayer, then you have Peter's proclamation. Peter, I think, was different because of the resurrection. What do you think? Do you think the resurrection had a profound effect on, G- on Peter's faith? Listen to this quote. The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone to a worldview that provides the proper perspective to all of life. All right? The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone to to us seeing the world differently, and it provides perspective to all of life. It provides perspective in death. The resurrection gives us a different perspective when it comes to death. It gives people hope. Yesterday in this room, it was probably a bigger crowd than what we see right now, and people were here to honor the memory of Jack Sweeney. And the resurrection brings hope in the moment of hopelessness. It changes the way you see death. The resurrection changes, or at least it should change, the way we see what's going on in our world, what's going on in our government, what's going on in our families, what's going on in our own hearts. The resurrection gives us perspective. It gives us a perspective of eternity, right? It changes. It gives us hope in the midst of a difficult time, realizing that the story's not over yet, because when they thought it was over on a Friday, it wasn't over until Sunday when Jesus rose again. Like, we're already excited about Easter. Easter's not even here yet, right? But it's coming. The resurrection changes our perspective, at least it should. And I think it changed Peter's perspective. Peter was saying, I don't know him, was standing up in front of people. It was a pretty hostile crowd. It wasn't as nice friendly crowd like we have this morning. It was a hostile environment, and Peter stands up, and he proclaims in a bold way the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse, uh, let's, let's look at 29. Acts 2, 29. Peter says, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and that in his tomb is still here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised, on, promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Okay? The promise was that one of David's descendants would be on the throne. Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was from the family of David. And from, his, from this, Jesus' descendant, it's a, it's a fulfillment of the prophecy And Peter's just reminding them of this again. And he says, Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Speaking of Jesus, God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. And because of that, nothing's ever going to be the same again. Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and it is poured out. What you now see 
and what you now hear. Peter says, this is from the Lord. Only God can make this happen. Only God could cause people to speak like this and other people to understand. A little bit later on in the chapter, verse 37, or Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when the people heard this message, it says they were cut to the heart. And they said, they said this to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do with this? What shall we do with this message? That's, you know what? That's really a question that we all need to ask every single time we engage ourselves in the truth. When we hear it either from a pastor speaking it or through a message you hear maybe online or on TV or you hear it through God's Word Himself, when God speaks, the question is for you, what should you do with it? What should you do? Well, Peter replied this. He re- Peter replied the same message that is proclaimed day after day, week after week, year after year. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, just like you and me. The promise was for us that day. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them, he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to, that, to them that day, to the church. All right, now say, so, all right, what do we do now? We've got all these people who are believing in Jesus. What do we do? Well, let's create, let's create a space. Let's create a place. Let's create a church for people to come. So look at Acts 2, 42 through 47. I think the purposes of the church are found in this passage of Scripture. The vision for our church is found in, the, in this passage right here. It says, they, all right, those who have chosen to believe on the name of Jesus, put their faith in him, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So they teaching, being together, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. That's what they were devoted to. Everyone was filled with all, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why wouldn't anybody want to be a part of something like that? I mean, if you knew, if you knew that you could come and you could be loved and experience love and learn how to love, if you knew you could come and you could be forgiven and you could experience true freedom, freedom, say, you know what, they know me, but they still love me right? Like if you know Beth's story, we still love Beth. If you knew my story, some of you do, you still love me anyway. My wife has lived my story, and she still loves me. God bless her, you know. She has more grace than I've ever seen before. But can we just be honest? Church is not always like that, is it? No, it's not always like that. 
Sometimes it's hard because you can't find that in a big group. You can't get quite that personal in a bigger group. And that's the reason why I think, and I'm sure it was the same for, this, for the early church. I mean, 3,000 people were added to the, that number daily. I'm sure at that particular point, they weren't all together, all 3,000 every single day. They, they broke out into smaller groups, into worship times. They went to the synagogue together. They went to teaching. And they went to times of, uh, where they met with each other and they were encouraged by one another. And listen, I encourage you to find that somehow, some way. If it's not happening, you create space. Because here's a, here's a vision that we really have for our church. This is a place we gather on Sunday morning, and there's plenty of seats to do this. We gather on Sunday morning, we worship, we celebrate together what God is doing in our stories. And then at some other time during the week, we find an opportunity to be with some other people, whether our same age or a little bit older, a little bit younger, be with some other people so that we can share life together. So that when you have a need, somebody knows about it immediately and they meet that need. All right? And if that small group's not, a, un, not able to meet that need, then they bring it before the church and we get everybody to do it together. Where it says they, they, ha, they had everything in common. They, they made sure that if anybody had a need, it was met. Okay? That's, that's the church. That's not the government. All right? The government is not supposed to meet your need. The church is supposed to meet your need. Okay, and guess what? The church is made up of people, so we meet each other's needs. It's not just about Brady meeting your need. Okay, it's about together, us meeting each other's need. And you have to have that in a smaller group context in order so that we know. Because you can come and be, an you can be anonymous even here. You can come in and go out, and nobody will ever know your story. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. It's too important for people to get to know your story. So that's what happens on the inside of the church. Okay, but what about what's going on outside the church? I want to share this, uh, this quote with you because we've, I've heard this phrase before, and I believe it's true, and maybe you've heard me share it before, but this, the local church in your community is the hope of the local community. It's the hope of the world, right? At least it should be. So this, uh, there's a guy named Brad Briscoe. He's a church planting missionary. He like, goes all over the place helping, help, helping um, people plant new works, new churches. And he, he's talking about the church. So I want you to, to hear this quote as we finish up our time together. Okay? So, so in a sense, this is where you receive, and now you get prepared to go out and do something with it. Okay? What should we do here? He says, imagine the church, your church as a people chosen, called, and sent out for God's restorative, restorative purposes in your city. Okay? 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God, that we may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So imagine your church existing for the sole purpose of participating in God's mission. God's church doesn't have a mission in your city. Instead, God's mission in your city has a church. It has us. It has the people who are believers and who believe this message of the resurrection. We have a different perspective than other people have because of the resurrection. Your particular local church. He is calling your church to bring the good news of the gospel of the kingdom to a world where bad news is depressingly infectious. Do we need any more bad news? Anybody need some more bad news? 
Or do we have enough? We have enough? All right. Genuine revitalization is about what God is doing. It's about discovering what God is doing in the people and places around us and then discerning how he wants us to join him in that mission. Right where you're at, right in your own home, right in the places that you work, young people, right where you go to school. How can you join God in what he's doing already right there? We must recapture this missionary nature of the church, and in doing so, we must activate all the people of God to engage in this mission. If you have a home, you have a place where people can gather to be ministered to, you have a small church right in your own home. All right, does that make sense? It's more than just one pastor. There's all of us that can be pastors and mission or uh, minister to people that we come in contact with. We have to be constantly reminded that the primary activity of God is not within the walls of the church. Did you know that? I mean, he's here, and he's ministering, he's active, and he's, he's loving us, but, the, but most of the activity must go on outside of these doors. We only get to be here for two hours on a Sunday morning, and that's if you come early. Instead, the primary activity of God is in the world around us, and the church is a sign and an instrument created by God to be sent to the world to participate in what he's already doing in the particular places that we all call home. The reality is that God is powerfully present in our communities. He's actively loving, redeeming, and restoring the world around us. Further, he is calling people to share in that work. Who are the people? It's you and me. Do you know your life is a living letter to tell a story? To show a picture of who Christ is and what he's doing in and through you. Scripture says we are his ambassadors as if he's making his appeal to the world through us. Our story shows the rest of the world how he walks with us during the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. How he loves us no matter what. How he desires us for, for us to know freedom and to share that freedom with others. The gospel, like I said before, spread from the book of Acts to you and me in order for us to let it spread into our community. And we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be his witnesses in Platte City, in Kansas City, in the U.S., and to the ends of the earth until he comes back in the same way that he went into heaven, which is what Scripture promised. He has given us this ministry of reconciliation. He is making an appeal to you and through you Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your story. The story of Jesus in the Gospels. Of how he came and how he loved and how he lived to give us an example to follow. And then how he ascended into heaven and how he's going to come back again. And how he's given us the Holy Spirit to live in us when we put our faith in him and so that we can be empowered to do the things you've called us to do. Lord, would we be worthy ambassadors? Ambassadors that are so full of your love and so changed by your resurrection that it, it causes us to just be different, to live different. Would you speak to your children that are here today. 
Would you reveal yourself to them in a greater measure? Would you encourage them today to take the gifts and the resources that you have given them to, to use it to minister to a hurting, dying world outside these walls? What if, God, what if you chose to move in Platte City and in the surrounding area? What if 3,000 people put their faith in you today, Lord? Would the churches even be ready to receive them? Lord, make us ready. Help us to be on mission for you. In Jesus' name, amen.